Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Emily. Today, we're uh, welcoming Rebecca Morgan Frank to read from their new book, Oh, You Robot Saints. They'll be in conversation with Catherine Pierce. Before I introduce them, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. Welcome, Rebecca and Catherine. I'm so happy to have you. Rebecca Morgan Frank is the author of OU Robot Saints out from Carnegie Mellon University Press this month. Her previous collections are The Spokes of Venus, Sometimes We're All Living in a Foreign, and Little Murders Everywhere, a finalist for the Kate Tufts Discovery Award. Her poems have appeared in The New Yorker, American Poetry Review, Plowshares, and The, and the Kenyan Review, Academy of American Poets Poem A Day series, The Slowdown Podcast, and elsewhere and her collaborations with composers have been performed widely. The recipient of the Poet Society of America's Alice Faye de Castanoglio Award for her next manuscript in progress, Frank has received fellowships from places such as the Mississippi Arts Commission, the Ragdale Foundation, and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. She is the co-founder and editor of the online magazine Memorius and teaches in the graduate creative writing program at Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. She is joined today in conversation with Catherine Pierce. Catherine Pierce is the author of four books of poems, most recently Danger Days, published by Saturnalia Books in October 2020. Her other books are The Tornado is the World, The Girls of Peculiar, and Last Famous Words. Pierce's work has appeared in The Best American Poetry, The New York Times, American Poetry Review, The Nation, The Academy of American Poets Poem A Day series, The Southern Review, and elsewhere. An NEA fellow and two-time Pushcart Prize winner, she is professor of English at Mississippi State, uh, where she co-directs the creative writing program. Welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, welcome. And uh, I believe Rebecca will be now sharing a poem, so let's hear some stuff from her new collection. Thank you so much, um, Emily, and thank you, Skylight Books, for having us, and uh, thank you, Catherine for being here in conversation with me. I'm excited for this. So we're going to start by each reading a couple of poems. And so this book, OU Robot Saints, um, emerged out of my interest in early automata, the earliest robots um, over hundreds, even thousands of years, and also moves forward into um, our contemporary world of robots. So this poem, uh, The Mechanical Eaves, that I'm about to read, engages with some of the different 
women automata and robots um, that have uh, come to my attention through my research. The mechanical eaves. Oh, man has made her. Mechanical eaves have been around for thousands of years, fetching your tea, serving you wine. The early female automatons didn't have a mind, were built from the ribs of men's brains, from their longing to be gods and make a life like a woman could. Oh, man has made her. Oh, man has made her. And she is uncanny and infertile. And so she must be destroyed, like when the captain threw Descartes' automaton daughter to sea or how Edison's prize talking girls are rumored to be buried alive by the thousands. Dig one up and she will say the Lord's prayer, a nursery rhyme. She won't speak her own mind. Oh, man has made her in his own image for beauty and service. Oh, man has made her a more pliable Eve with no desire of her own. Sold her online for XXX99, given her a hollowness of the heart, a phonograph for a heart. When I was thinking about which poems to read, um, you know, there's there's books about the old automata and uh, um, and then there's the robots. And uh, I thought um, for this conversation, since we're talking a lot, uh, I think about the future, uh, the future of global warming, the future of AI and robots. Um, I'm going to read this poem, which is uh, sort of a listing of some of the robot creatures that are being made around us as we, in this speak in this moment. Not everybody else's bestiary yet. Then came the soft animals, the snake and octopus slinking along. You've seen the octopus as escape artists, sneaking out of cracks and holes, hiding in a teapot, plotting the big adventure. Now she moves through chemical reaction, the first soft robot taking to the sea, while the real thing once disassembled her own aquarium, waiting in a puddle to be found. Now imagine her robot double dismantling at will, that which we tried to contain swimming off into the deep, re-emerging like the snake that slithers into your garden in trapezoidal kirigami skin. Its cuts keep it crawling through bursts of air. An innocuous slinky in colorful garb, this robot can sidewind anywhere. Now ask why everything now harbors a weapon in your mind. Do you dread the snake under your bed? Is it the real tooth and venom in you fear or this programmed body double here? We're told of a fall, a fault built on flesh, the flesh of a fruit, the flesh of a woman. Now this man-made flesh, a reptilian test of applied knowledge, industrial sin. Enter the latest sensation, a cockroach robot sliding through the cracks to get to you, away from you. Extinction has been eradicated, fought. Replacements are on order, enter, Robotanica, the world of the wild robot, woodpecker, dragonfly, kangaroo, child, unborn, they can all do the job. Two by two, battery powered to keep the world moving, replacing their organic prototypes, centipedes, spiders, termites, and bees. These are just the beginnings of an evolving robo nation, as if someone has decided to revise, start over, this time using human labor invention. Um, all right, I'm gonna pass it over to you, Catherine. All right, well, um, Morgan, I loved hearing those poems. Thank you for reading those. It was also so great to hear, just to hear them out loud. I'd read them on the page, but I hadn't obviously heard them. And just the sounds of them are so fantastic when you're reading them. So thanks, that was really, really fun to hear. And I love those poems. Um, so yeah, I'm going to read 
two poems from my book, Danger Days, which came out in October. And um, this is also a poem that deals with the future and the past in certain ways. And so um, this one is called Inheritance. And I was thinking about the ways that we look ahead of us and look behind us and sometimes don't look far enough ahead. So Inheritance. Dear children, when we were children, the sun pushed against us and we let it. We were not cautious. It didn't push hard. It was only the sun and it was ours after all. Dear children, when we were children, mosquitoes carried nothing but annoyance. Our Coke cans always lipped with bees. Dear children, in winter, we measured snowdrifts with yardsticks. Sometimes ice glassed every leaf on the rhododendron. Some of us learned to drive stick on slick gray streets. There was that one summer of the heat wave. We remember it because it shifted everything a bit, the pavement blurring, our fathers swearing over the grill. We remember it is what I'm saying, like you remember anything unusual. Dear children, when we were children, the TV sometimes droned on about ozone and acid rain, and we understood that the future was a country our parents would have to navigate, but had nothing to do with us. We had so many flowers. We had so many polar bears. Our ice shelves were beautifully intact. There were still storms, sometimes terrible, and people died in terrible ways. And we remember how every magazine in the checkout line for a week that one year, and also that other year, was stamped with a hurricane's name, font bold and tragic. We remember is what I'm saying. And then it was pure summer again, the bee hum loud in the fields. September like an apple split open to its crisp bright heart. We loved it all as children do, roughly and distractedly. And we continued to love it that way, as the fields slowly hushed, as snowdrifts hissed and blinked and became banks of memory, gleaming rises of words that we could leave to you. And I'm just gonna read one more. Um, this is a poem called Please Let It Be Aliens. And this one came out of, um, I was just, I was reading a newspaper article and there was a headline, this was in the Washington Post and the headline was, and this is the epigraph for the poem, a solar observatory in New Mexico is evacuated for a week and the FBI is investigating. No one will say why. And I read that headline and my first thought was, oh, I really, really hope it's aliens this time. I just, I really, really wanted it to be aliens. And so then I thought it might be interesting to try to unpack that a little and figure out why I really wanted it to be aliens. So that's what this poem is doing. It's called, Please Let It Be Aliens. Let it be a silver disc, a foil zeppelin bleeping across the radar, a blot in front of the sun and then gone. Let the word intergalactic be paired at last with espionage. Let uniformed men stride briskly down long corridors. Let astronomers pace and calculate. Let there be phone calls and code words, an envelope unsealed by trembling hands, and let the light become strange, the radio signals scramble, the dogs whine skyward. Let there be a great silver crack down the sky of our surety, and flames and fear born of wonder. Oh, let it be aliens for once, instead of another threat from our own sad sack planet, a call from inside the house twist we all see coming. Let us believe, though it seems impossible, that someone still wants to claim us. Someone still thinks our poison green world worth wanting. 
So I'll stop there. And wow. I know Morgan, we have lots to ask each other about. <laughs> yeah, wow. I just want to say how much I love, I'm so glad that you read um, both of those poems and uh, particularly Inheritance. I love that, that line, um, our parents would have to navigate it. It had nothing to do with us. And I feel like that thread to the book, I related so much as a, you know, um, a generation of, of that, of having this awareness about uh, environmental destruction and global warming through our whole life, but but it being sort of passed forward to this future. Um, I feel like both of our books are engaging with that we're living in this future that um, that we've always sort of imagined, but not really. It was something in sci-fi, it was something in the movies, and all of a sudden, you know, complete without a global pandemic, we're living in it. And um, and so I just love that that thread and in, in the book of um of looking back at looking forward into what we're living in now. Yeah, thank you. And that's that's one of the things that I love so much about your book too. Um I think that it's I just, first of all, the title, Oh, You Robot Saints, is just the best title ever. I just, I really, really love that title for a book. So I just wanted to add that. But, um, you know, I, when I was reading through your book, I, I was I was thinking about how it's so interesting to consider ideas of the future. Like, what does it mean to consider the future? Because, yes, we think of the future as, I mean, I still think of the future as looking like the Jetsons, right? Even though that at this point, I guess, is the past, I think. But, you know, I mean, in terms of when it was supposed to have been set. But when I was reading your book and I was thinking about all these, all these automatons that have been made, you know, centuries before and how in a way we've always been living in the future, right? Um, but we've never sort of acknowledged it as that. And we keep waiting for the future to be this thing full of new possibility, um, but, you know, if we don't, if we don't make some changes in the present, there's not going to be much of a future. So that's, that was one thing that was really striking me in reading your book, thinking about how people have always been inventing things that seem to be kind of, you know, teleporting us into the future, or, you know, at least sort of mentally doing that and or imaginatively doing that. And I was just really, really struck by that. Um, one of the questions that, that I had for you, Morgan, that I'd love to hear you talk about is just sort of the, the genesis of, of this book, but specifically about the kind of explorations you did to write them. I mean, obviously a lot of research went into these poems, but I think that now, especially since we can't really travel, I'm, I just think about travel all the time. And so I was wondering how much of the research that you did for this book involved physical travel, how much of it involved kind of, you know, internet travel, um, book travel, did you physically see some of these things that you're talking about? Um, I'd just love to hear hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, thanks. Um, I I uh, I remember distinctly when this book began, which is that I'm married to a medievalist, and uh, there was a book called Medieval Robots that popped up on the coffee table one day by Ellie Truitt, um, who's an amazing scholar. And I cracked it open and I couldn't stop reading. And so that began my my research through books and um, uh, just you know kept expanding, reading more and more. And then I was really lucky. I was teaching uh, as a potent resident at Brandeis and I got a research fellowship to go to London for a summer that they had a robot exhibit at the oh, Science yeah. Museum. And it had a few of the um, 
objects that I was really interested in seeing. One is the um, automaton monk that is on the front of the book. Um, you see an X-ray picture, uh, thanks to Smith, the Smithsonian. Um, and, and then there were all these other, you know, incredible ones there. And then I also went to see one of my other favorites. And I'm saying all those because those of you who are listening, you can Google these, this um, automaton monk from the 16th century. There's a lot online and you can see videos of um, him in motion. And another is a silver swan that's at the Bose Museum in Barnard Castle, which is just the most magical thing. And everyone should um, look, look that up and, and watch it move. So that was sort of the magic of getting to see that and the the swan was one of the few that I got to see in motion I would say um the monk you could see a video of it with most of them it's hard on their mechanisms to be run so you know I also found some at the VNA so that was that was the kind of exciting part to see things and it expanded me um expanded my range of of thinking what I might write about just by some discoveries that I found in those exhibits and museums. And, and then the other thing I would say is through conversations. I mean, this is how a lot of my work moves anyway, but I'm, I love hearing scholars and other artists talk about their work. So, you know, conversations I was just surprised how many people had some little corner about automaton, their research, right? Whether they're whatever period they were in. Um, and that was really exciting. People were just passing the books and passing the ideas. And um, that kind of kept me going on, on that path. I mean, turning it back to you, um, did you find yourself researching more about environmental concerns as well for your book? I, I did, yeah. Um, I mean, I, a lot of it happened pretty organically. I didn't set out to write a book about climate crisis. I just set out to write, you know, poems that I was interested in writing, which is what I always do. And so, but over time, I, I've learned to kind of trust my own obsessions and to trust that eventually, if I just write the poems that I want to write, they'll start to coalesce around some kind of, you know, thematic arc. Um, not that I think a book of poems necessarily needs to have a thematic arc. I, I, I think that there are fantastic books that don't do that at all. Um, but I think that in this case, I was just writing the poems that I wanted to write and over time began to realize that, wow, a lot of my concerns these days, a lot of my sort of brain space is spent on, on the earth and climate crisis and, um, and, and being, also I was writing this book when my kids were both pretty young. I mean, they're still young, but they were very young when I was writing a lot of these poems. And so all those things were kind of coming together. And I was thinking about, I was outside more because I had babies and toddlers to be like trying to make, stop crying. You know? <laughs> so we're going to go outside and we're going to look at the leaves. And um, so, and also it was just, it was a joy to be outside kind of experiencing nature in this way. But I was also thinking about, um, the destruction of, of a lot of things. And I live in Mississippi, which as you know, Morgan, um, has a lot of extreme weather and we get a lot of tornadoes there. And so just all of these things kind of came together for me. Um, but so, yeah, I did do some research, but I think that most of the research that I did was kind of poem by poem. Um, there's one poem in this book that came out of an art another article I read called On the Issue of Lunar Trash. I had not known how much stuff there was on the moon. I kind of thought that there was like a, you know, some golf balls and a flag. And I had no idea that it was, the list is much, much, much longer than that. And I was shocked when I read this article. And so I had to write a poem about that kind of cataloging that. So um, 
you know, that's not a problem about the destruction of our own planet, but it's about the extension of that destruction, right? Kind of continuing that even out of our own, <laughs> out of our own atmosphere and somewhere else, we'll just keep taking this, taking our garbage other places um, because it's sort of interesting to us to do these projects. So, well, so I, yeah, I did I, do something there. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just thinking that brings me to thinking about sort of what the cost is of invention, because yeah. I feel like that comes up in um, in both of our books, right? It's like, what is what do humans create and the both the wonder of that and the impact of that? Um, because that's one of the other poems I love in here is like, the title is Invention, is it? Or yeah. it's, it's the one with all, yeah, that lists, you know, can you just think um, I love that. It seems like one, maybe, you know, were you, were you researching that? Or are you finding this incredible list of when you start to think of all of the crazy, both great and useless things that humans right. invent? Right, right. No, yeah, right. And in that poem, I was kind of trying to think about, wow, okay, we even, what can we, what can we claim and what can we not claim, right? So we can say that, yes, we invented A-line skirts and we invented the idea of, you know, ham with, pineapple on it like yes we invented those ideas right but we didn't invent grief and we didn't invent you know um what, what's in this poem we didn't we, we invented friday in june and all hallows eve but we did not invent love or regret or stingrays right so we can only take so much credit for things as as humans and right what do we spend our energy on um which is another thing that's so fascinating about your book. And you think about all the tremendous effort that went into the creation of all of these, these automata that you're talking about there um, in order to, to mirror, you know, organic life and to do it as closely as possible. And I, I found that so moving and, um, you know, sort of sometimes funny and sometimes tragic and sometimes just really beautiful. I did look up the swan, um, which is just, I mean, you're right. That is just the most magical thing. I watched that video like five times. I just kept watching it move because it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And so I think that's another thing is like when we invent things like that, sometimes we're inventing them for some sort of larger purpose. And sometimes we're inventing them for delight, right? And just for sort of the magic of that. And I think that's that's something that is so, um, that I'm just really drawn to in, in any kind of art and just in thinking about inventions in general. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, thinking about another kind of creature, um, about the robo-bee, which is one of your, yeah. you have this remarkable poem called Ode to the Robo-bee in this book. Um, and I just, I mean, obviously I, I'd like to know more about the Robobee, but also I'd love to know about your process for writing this poem, because this poem is, it's formally really amazing. And, you know, the content of it is really amazing. It interweaves these things. It's a crown of sonnets that both commits to and subverts the form. It's a meditation on the invention of the Robobee. It's a meditation on the speaker's own body. It's all of these things kind of working together. Um, and it's such a beautiful and complicated poem. And I just love to hear a little bit about how you kind of came to that poem or how you approached it and how you decided on using that form in that particular way. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, I was I was in a friend's dining room telling her um, that I had just started reading about robo bees and, you know, oh, poets, we like to write about bees. And she looked at me and she said, my neighbor is a roboticist at wow. Harvard who's working on the robo bees. 
let's yeah. let me introduce you. Um, and he and, and his family kindly had me to dinner and, um, you know, and I started to watch all the things online and this conversation with him and what struck me was um, because this is really the only creator I got to speak to in this process beyond through their writing was that it is this pursuit of, I'm thinking about when you talked about the silver swan, one of the guys who created that Merlin is also the guy who created the roller skates, you know, so there's people who are just incredibly inventive, but also in a lot of the cases there are people who just, they want to solve the problem. They want to solve the problem, but beneath that problem is sort of the magic. Like, yes. how can we fly when you think about what engineers do? Like, it's, it's incredible. So how do we make a bee fly? How do you make it join in a colony, you know, and just starting to think the way that, um, you know, scientists are asking questions like we are as poets. So um, I, at first I thought that I was going to be more focused on, on that process. And what I realized was I couldn't separate out how inventions that we seek out through curiosity or through, you know, for whatever process that we want, we don't necessarily know what their outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the same time, as you said, you know, I thought I'm going to try my hand at a crown of sonnets, you know, wouldn't it be sort of funny somehow to me to do a, a Robo B uh, sonnet sequence. And it really went in a direction that I didn't expect, you know, um, and as you talked about, it's just how this kind of circled back to uh, both war and weapons and also the female body, you know, going in to the doctor and finding out that, um, you know, they can they use what they call robots, you know, like a robot arm to um, remove things from your body and and I just I, all of this sort of came together for me in that poem. I didn't have an intention beyond wanting it to be a, a sonnet sequence. I, I, I don't think I expected that it would be as loose as it was and it just kind of kept moving. And um, that I finished that poem, a bulk of that poem was written at a residency at Ragdale where I was just, you know, closed up in a tiny room listening to the voice in my head uh, over and over. and um it, it was one of those things that was sort of mysterious to me how how it unfolded so both from the information I gathered and you know just circling back to what you said about just writing the poems that you want to write that yeah. for me the research is it's just a place to keep me going and then it's eventually going to take me back to what I need to write about right so and and I think that comes up in mothers come up in both of our books in different ways. So for me, um, my unsuccessful pursuit of being a mother, you know, biologically or through adoption, you through through writing while parenting and, um, and, and considering the future of your children and that that those things that are our everyday lives or for me, you know, being a child of a mother who dies that right as I was writing the book that 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 seeps into the poems, even if we um, but this seems to me true to life. Like we both have our day-to-day -day life of what's around happening to us personally. And then the world that we're in where these crazy things are unfolding environmentally or scientifically. Um, so yeah, just, just circling back in terms of form, um, it was a little bit of a, of a mystery to me how it came together. But I think it was a lot of things that I'd been thinking about just kind of came to a head and pushed their way into the poem. You were saying that, you know, 
you didn't know how loose it was going to end up being. And it, it's such a great usage of the form because it's it's a playful, it reads to me like a playful use of the form, um, which sort of brings to mind like the bee and the invention of the robo bee and all these things that are both serious and also very playful. Um, but I, I really like the way that the structure of that kind of ties everything together, you know, with, with the, the crown of sonnets where the last line of one becomes the first line of the next and it becomes this sort of um, this loose transition, right? So it's a way to kind of fold these ideas together without, without it ever feeling forced, without it ever feeling artificial. Um, and I think I think what you were saying is exactly right. Just the way that yeah, this this is how we live our lives in the world, right? We deal with our day to day lives. We deal with everything going on just beyond our day to day lives. We deal with all the stuff that we're reading and carrying and and you know thinking about constantly. And so I just I really I think that I I really really love the whole book. But I think that that poem is such a fantastic kind of centerpiece poem for it. It, it seems to hinge so much of what that book is is thinking about and is considering. And so I just, I just really admire it. So thank you for talking about it. That was really, really interesting to hear about. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, you take a kind of a risk with a poem like that. It's really nice to, to hear that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about the way that we create sort of the, the forms that we need or, or, or modes. And um, you have a series of poems in here from the compendium of romantic words. And it's a, um, howl, whip smart, delicatessen, undone are some of the subjects there. And can you talk a little bit about um, that series of poems? Because there's so much fun. And also, they have their own sort of formal structure to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking about those. Um, there used to be a few more of them that didn't make the cut. Um, and I considered not even putting the series into the book at all, because as I was working on the book, you know, it started to take shape and it started to have, it started to coalesce, you know, in a certain direction and become more about climate and parenting and, and you know, current political, you know, situations and, and all of that. And these four poems from the Compendium of Romantic Words felt a little bit outside of that. Um, but I ultimately kept them in the book because I, I really enjoyed writing them and they get it another really important subject matter for me, which is just the, the pleasure of language, um, which is something that I think, even though my poems are not usually directly about that, I hope that that's something that's kind of coming through in my poems because I, I just, I love words so much, right? And so, I mean, as I think all poets do. And so these poems, which, you know, for anybody listening, when you look at them on the page, they look sort of like, um, like little blocks of text almost. They're not prose poems, but they are, they look, they're sort of sonnet shaped, but they're not sonnets. Um, they're a little longer than a sonnet, but yeah, they, they function as definitions, right? But definitions for how a word might be able to do something beyond what we think that it might do. Um, and specifically, I was thinking about words that, that I genuinely find romantic somehow, um, whatever that means, words that might carry some kind of extra weight to them. So those poems were a ton of fun to write because I was able to do a lot of language play and to think a lot about etymology when I was writing these. And I did do a lot of research for these poems too, thinking about, okay, well, where did this come from and what else can it mean and how else could I use this particular word and what's the connotation of this word versus sort of an archaic meaning of this word and so it was really really fun to kind of dive into those um, 
so while I think they do feel a little bit outside of the other poems in the book, I decided just to leave them in there because I, because I really enjoyed writing them and I, I hoped they would add a little texture to the, to the book. So I'm glad to hear you say that, that they resonated for you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I like that idea of texture. If there's um, any listeners who are, who are poets who are building books, we all know that's kind of a mysterious project. Um, but I find more and more, and uh, you know, you and I both worked with graduate students on shaping a lot of books. And I, I think you learn so much about shaping your own book by reading a lot of manuscripts by other people, you know, that which we do in different roles, whether it's as as teachers or as friends or as editors. And um, I love that idea of texture, right? That I think, um, you know, in a book maybe has some cohesive principles, um, the, the sort of opening that up and expanding it, making space for that uh, is, is really a, a key to, to so many books, I think, that um, adhering to something too tightly can feel restrictive, both for your writing and, yes. and for the reader, right, to have yes. some sort of relief, like if we just have, you know, robots and <laughs> climate change doom coming out of every poem, you know, this is certainly not the way that these, that these poems um, move, move through this. Yes. Um, yeah, I I wonder too um, if you could talk about your writing process a little. I, I think that's sometimes just interesting to hear what other people's process is. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm going to turn that one back to you because I would like to hear more about yours also. Um, you know, I think that my writing process is it's always kind of in flux depending on what I'm working on and kind of what else is happening in my life. And that that itself is part of the process for me. Um, and I've learned to be more accepting of that the longer I've been writing. I think for a long time, I was trying to kind of follow that dictum of, oh, well, you should write every day for X amount of time. And, you know, and, you know, the, and that never really worked for me. I'd have other stuff I had to do or my brain couldn't be on poems when I knew it had to be taking care of this other project or, and I would always just do better when I could have a little time. Um, you know, sort of to set aside. And so I eventually I got much more comfortable with that. And I also started to recognize that I think that idea is, I think it can be a gendered idea, right? Or, or an idea that sort of is wrapped up in in privilege and in patriarchy and this idea of, um, you know, yeah, so have clear out two hours every day to write. Well, I mean, sure, maybe that sounds lovely, but you know, not everyone is able to, to do that. Um, and that's okay too. And I mean, if you can and it works for you, I think that's fantastic. And I think if you can and it doesn't work for you, that's also okay. And if you can't and you want to do something else, like every approach is fine. So for me, um, I try to clear out some time when I don't have to do anything else. So it can't be when I know in half an hour I have to get back to the student poems that I'm commenting on. I'd rather wake up early and have two hours before anybody else in my family is up or you know, sort of clear out a Friday afternoon when I've done everything else and just really kind of dive in for a while. Um, and for me, it often starts with reading, just reading stuff that I like and following my obsessions. And then I like writing series too. It's always a good track for me to run on, which is what happened with the compendium poems too. Um, so that helps me when I'm stuck. But yeah, reading and just giving myself that time and space, however I can find it, to just play with language and to accept that I may not, I may not produce something every time, right? I may just get some notes down or write around something, but giving myself that freedom um, is really useful for me too. So, but that's, I mean, that's one answer. What about you though, Morgan? How, how does your process work? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say 
it's we're all kind of reframing our creative practices during the pandemic right as, as based on our different situations um, my ideal situation was when i was teaching in mississippi at the university of southern mississippi i had a library windowless library carol where i went every friday and i love that just sort of the blank room where no one can get to you um but you know in the end you have to be adaptable and uh i always kind of lecture everyone else pay yourself first right do if you can if there's tasks you know you will do like you have to grade or you have to answer emails right. um do do the thing that you think might be pushed aside because if you're a responsible person you're still going to do those other things um so i've been you know tr try to put that in place to to make space for that before before everything else like that it deserves to be a, a priority and uh is is essential in that way and um i think that's just a good reminder to all of us in the pandemic too like this is this is essential to as much yes. as much as you can make it be, you know, depending on what your circumstances are. Um, there's certainly things that uh, have to be done, but some things maybe maybe you can take an hour for a poem first. Yes, no, absolutely. And I think that's still something that I try to remind myself of, you know, every day. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it again, because it's it's absolutely right. And I think that that is yes, it matters. It matters as much and probably more than some other things, you know, I mean, this is, this, this, the work matters. And so, yeah, absolutely. To be able to prioritize that um, in whatever way, in whatever way you can, right? In whatever way you're able to do it on balance with the other things that you know you need to be doing, but still making time and brain space for this, which is also just a hugely important part of, of our lives and who we are. And, and I'll just add, you know, as we wrap up, I think conversations with other poets. So this is this one is being recorded, but I know that all of us are spending time on Zoom connecting to poet friends, talking about our work or what we're reading or even about other things, but knowing um, just that sort of solidarity of, of having a community of poets um, to yes. remind us uh, this is this is what we do in the world, even if we aren't gathering in person um, to to share our work through reading, et cetera. And it helps, it helps so much. I mean, it, right, that that connection and getting to talk to people. And yeah, I mean, it's been, I'm so glad. That, I mean, I know it was recorded, but it was, it was so great to talk to you and just hear, hear your thoughts on your book. And it, it makes me want to go right now. So, you know, this is, it was, it was really, really wonderful to hear, to hear about that. And congratulations on OU Robot Saints, which is just a fantastic, fantastic book. And I'm so excited. It's going to be out in the world very, very, very soon. What's the actual release date for it? It is February 19th. Okay, so it's very, very uh, exciting. And um, and yes, thank you for for talking. Danger Day is it's terrific. As you know, I've been a longtime fan of your work. Um, and uh, this is this is one of my favorite uh, books of yours. I just think it's uh, it's terrific. And I hope readers will find their way to it. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your work with us, Rebecca Morgan Frank and Catherine Pierce. Uh, thank you both for your thoughtful questions. It was really such a lovely discussion. Um, and yeah, again, today's guests were Rebecca Morgan Frank and Catherine Pierce, uh, and they were discussing both of their new collections, Rebecca Morgan Frank's OU Robot Saints and Catherine Pierce's Dangerous Days. Uh, you can order copies at skylightbooks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify.
Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.